Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Velo is here, and it's the modern take on nicotine. They're nicotine pouches that are hassle-free, so you're free to do it all. Whether you're hitting happy hour or hitting the slopes, home brewing to house partying, cliff jumping or concert going, whatever the situation, Velo's ready. Visit Velo.com now to find your retailer. Website restricted to age 21 plus tobacco consumers. Underage sale prohibited. Infirmary Media. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. Greetings, Retro Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Dueling Decades here on Poop Culture, the bodacious retro game show where we make the 80s and 90s fight it out as we debate these two dope decades. Let's take a look at the teams and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, representing February of 1990. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Mark, as always. Uh, this is my handsome partner, Mike Ranger. Uh, we're representing February 1990, and uh, we have decided upon the permanent team name of the After School Special. Ooh, very nice. And my teammate, who I will be representing February of 1989 with. That's right. Of course, we're the Mama Lukes, and I'm sick. <laughs> and my name is Rip. <laughs> sick man crush. And as always, here on Dueling Decades, we need someone to hold down law and order. Please rise. It's the Honorable Judge John Cross. That's right. I am Judge John Cross. And like everyone on this show, I too use a bidet, which is why I like a nice drippy butthole. Let's play fair tonight, people. You need the dryer. <laughs> yeah, you need a bidet and then a hairdryer and then it's a whole thing. I attached a Dyson to my bidet. <laughs> well, you know what they say, here bidet gone tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> More power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the rules of our game are quite simple. A coin flip will decide the team who goes first. The winning team will decide the topic of each round out of the five dueling decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and, of course, hot products. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. The judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, and the team with the highest overall score after five rounds will be the victors. Gentlemen, let's play some Dueling Decades! coin toss Alrighty, yes the the moment everyone waits for uh this month's toin toss is this month's toin <laughs> coin toss <laughs> fuck this month's coin toss is uh this blu-ray edition of damnation alley so teams will you tell me do you want to get damned or do you want it in the alley what is mm. it let's go to ass for the uh the call oh yes all right Please. so you want it in the alley. All right, let's see. Here we go. 
Flip it and... Oh, I'm sorry. You've all been damned. It's heads up. Oh. Yeah. All right. Mark, do you want to start with television or do you want to start with... Yeah, do, let's just start with television. Truth or dare, Mark? Do I have to choose? <laughs> all right. Well, we'll start with television. And on February 9th, 1989, it was the airing of one of the all-time great episodes of the popular American sitcom, Cheers! The episode was entitled Golden Boyd, and it marks the very first appearance of Kelly Gaines. As Sam and Woody are, are recruited by Rebecca to tend bar at her corporate bigwig father's house, Woody encounters Kelly as he butts head with as he butt heads with Kelly's boyfriend Nash. In the end, though, Woody does overcome, and uh, with his boyish charm, he wins over Kelly and steals her away from Nash, much like Henri would attempt to do only a few short seasons later. Jackie Swanson, who played Kelly, would go on to be a regular reoccurring character on the show until the very end, and uh, spoilers, Kelly and Woody do get married and have two kids. Way to ruin it, man. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> spoilers much. Jeez. <laughs> We'll be dropping a lot more spoilers today. I think there's another one coming up. Their celebrity couple name would be Welly. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. Well done. British for <laughs> Wellington cute. boot. All right. So Mark had to really dig for that one. And the bizarre thing with February is you're not going to get very many shows beginning in February. However, there was the writer's strike of 1988, which lasted for 155 days. It's actually the longest guild strike on record. And it ended in like August of 88, but it pushed everything back. So I was fortunate enough to get a show that began February 28th, 1989. And it's the fictional tale of the Minnesota State. What is it? Minnesota State University, I think it is. Screaming Eagles, uh, the football team. And there is any coaching staff led by none other than Craig T. Nelson. Uh, you had Jerry Van Dyke on there and the guy, uh, what's his name? Patrick Starr or Bill... <laughs> Finger bang. How to pronounce his name. Finger bakey, whatever the fuck his name Finger is. Finger bang. What? Something like that. <laughs> Shake or bake? I forgot, but we'll go with Patrick Starr. But that show, uh, of course, I'm talking about Coach. It lasts for nine seasons on ABC. Uh, Nelson and Van Dyke, they both won Emmys for the work on the show. And if I'm listing like a top 10 and 90 sitcoms, I'm honestly going for my top three is going to be Seinfeld, Friends, and then Coach at third. I think it's just like a super underrated show. You know, you got this, it starts off with this, uh, like, kind of crappy college football team. He takes them to a bowl win. Uh, spoiler, they eventually win the national championship in one season. They defend it. And then the weird thing is about this show, I don't know if anybody else watches besides me, towards the end, he jumps ship from college to the NFL, and he starts with um, the Orlando Breakers were the name of the team in the NFL. It was some fake team, obviously. And... What they tried to do in the last couple seasons is one season they tried to match it up with Monday Night Football and play it before Monday Night Football. But as everybody knows, Monday Night Football time started at 9 o'clock, so it was perfect on the East Coast. But on the West Coast, Monday Night Football started at 6. So nobody was fucking watching Coach at 5 o'clock. So it was a huge like jump the shark moment. It was kind of weird, but Coach, February 28th, 1989. Yeah, solid show, man. Good pick. One of my favorite episodes. And one of the I haven't seen the whole series, 
But one episode always stood out. They went to Hawaii for a bowl game, and Coach's daughter met this surfer guy named Wyatt who blew out his eardrums so he had no balance. And the whole time they're celebrating after the big win, you just see him run across screen and fall down and then get up and run across screen and fall down. (laughs) That was fantastic. Such a good show, man. And actually, they try to bring it back, I think in like 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. And I guess the pilot was total shit. And they didn't. uh... They'll probably do it again next year then. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Yeah, it'll come back again. Coach three. <laughs> Got that coach pilot? Those guys still alive? Coach three. <laughs> still coaching. Is Jerry Van Dyke still alive? He can't still be alive, right? Uh, yeah. And nah, he was old as shit then. He's got to be dead. Yeah. yeah. Craig T. Nelson, he's got to be old as hell they now. They could replace it with Dick Van Dyke. Oh. <laughs> He'll could, die on the show. It could be coach meets up with a cheery <laughs> chimney sweep from old London town. <laughs> and the two of them could go on wacky adventures together in the Midwest. Nice. But Jerry Van Dyke's really animated. Yeah. I wouldn't watch that's, it. that's the fun of it. Dick Run Van the Dyke's sweep. Not. Well, no, they just drive around with Jerry Van Dyke's corpse in the trunk. <laughs> no, they just they just play reggae music the whole time. So oh, yeah. he just goes like this. <laughs> the weekend at Bernie's 2. Oh. <laughs> Coach. Coach Bernie's. All right. What do you guys have? Mike, would you like to kick things off? I don't know, but you got got some real gold over there. Well, all right. I'll take this one then. The same night that Mark's pick aired was the debut on CBS of the Brady's. This is actually the uh, completion of a trilogy, more or less, if you want to take the television route of a trilogy. A continuation of the original 1969 to 74 sitcom, The Brady Bunch, focusing on its main characters as adults. Uh, The second, obviously, such continuation after the short-lived 1981 sitcom, The Brady Brides, uh, aired on Friday nights, failed in the ratings against the TGIF lineup on ABC and was canceled after one month. Six uh, produced episodes, the last six episodes uh, airing March 9th, 1990. So what we fail to realize here is that uh, we had lyrics sung by Florence Henderson in one of these episodes, a few of them actually. Uh, so that alone, I think, merits uh, the reward here for the, the 90s taking the it. the lyrics were? For shit, I don't know. Well, Jesus. <laughs> I was really anticipating that. Like that. Well, here's that, the interesting thing, though. I, I don't imagine the original... Henderson said shit on primetime, but sure, if that's what you think. <laughs> that was, yeah. For that's the like shit a... if I know, still raising children after 40 years or whatever. Yeah, no, that would work, maybe. I don't know. It's interesting because the original was 30 minutes long. This was actually an hour long uh, and featured far more serious plot lines. I'll give you the rundown here, some of the things they touched on. Uh, Mike Brady began a political career. Uh, Bobby's budding car racing career ends abruptly in the first episode after an accident leaves him a paraplegic as he recovers. Oh, God. <laughs> hold, hold on. I will give up the round right now if you tell me in those episodes there was a Walker, Texas Ranger crossover <laughs> and he tells Mike he has AIDS. Walker told me I'm a paraplegic. <laughs> Here, th- that's not all, though. Wait, there's more. Peter breaks up with his fiance, to whom he became engaged in a very Brady Christmas and begins dating the abusive daughter of Mike's political rival. Just when you think shit can't get worse, Jan and Philip, unable to conceive children of their own, adopt a Korean girl named Patty. <laughs> what? Stay-at-home mother Marcia battles alcoholism while Wally loses yet another in a series of jobs, the latest being as Mike's oh, so campaign manager. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, Wally and Marsha, who, along with their two children, have been forced to move in with Mike and Carol, eventually decide to open their own catering business to support their family. And last but not least, radio host Cindy, who had a lisp, for God's sake, <laughs> begins a romance with her boss, a widower more than 10 years her senior who has two children. Now, despite all the downbeat tone of the overall themes of the show, the show did feature a laugh track at certain moments. Uh, most awkwardly is when it's announced that Bobby is a paraplegic. <laughs> Don't understand it. Yeah. Well, Probably when, a poor time, a poor time thing on the production side, but that one kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. When occasionally Bobby would fall out of his wheelchair. That's when they was... <laughs> We love. It's 1990 and we're still all about the crippled humor. It would be another 10 years before we deemed that laughing at cripples wasn't PC or whatever. Anyway. Were there any storylines that revolved Good around Cousin Oliver? Uh, I think they killed him off in uh, The Brady Brides. <laughs> he's definitely touching right. little kids. <laughs> oh, he, he owns a bike shop. Uh, for God's sake, his name is Robbie Wrist. Of course he's a he's a pederast. <laughs> <laughs> the Brady Brides either sounds like some sort of weird Mormon porn, <laughs> or, <laughs> or it sounds like a sequel to a Dracula movie from 1973. It was based on that, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Dracula and the Brady Brides. <laughs> they both suck. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was the debut. Yeah. February 9th, 1990. All right, Mike. I got to oh, well, hear this. Sit back and <laughs> Get relax. ready. Hang on to your socks, <laughs> yeah, gentlemen. I got some stuff. On uh, February 5th, 1990, saw the return of one of television's classic game shows, Supermarket Sweep. The original show broadcasted on ABC from 1965 to 1967 and saw its 1990 revival take place on the Lifetime Network of all places. Yes! The, Was Dean Kane on it? <laughs> the format of the show had three teams of two players and consisted of three segments, the question round, the big sweep, and the bonus sweep. Players would answer grocery-related questions as well as run up and down the aisles loading their shopping carts with special items. Has it ever been one of your fantasies? You see a big, beautiful supermarket, and they say to you, go ahead, do what you've always wanted to do. Run wild, grab everything you can get your hands on. Everything in this supermarket is yours, and it's all free. From Hollywood, where dreams come true, it's the return, the one and only Supermarket Sweep. Are you ready to go shopping? <laughs> Man, you really sold that. Wow. That's right. I've always wanted to be on that show, except for the running part. Fuck that. What a lot of people don't realize is that in, in the uh, the sweep section, like the timed version, you would have to avoid Guy Fieri popping out of random miles and trying to get you, you know, prevent you from getting through the maze. <laughs> he would throw banana peels at you. Yeah, he'd just pop out and he'd be like, it's killer. Yeah, see, I always wanted to do more of supermarket stroll where you just casually walk down the aisles and take whatever you want. I mean, I suppose in the 90s Mark, and going into the 2000s, it's more appealing because supermarkets kind of grow to incorporate electronic goods and clothing and various other stuff. Back in the 50s and 60s, what? Supermarkets were like, you can get some free beans. Like, what, what, was, in a, what was in a supermarket? Like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, housewives loved it and everything back in the 50s. But, yeah, seems bizarre to me. 
But yeah, did it did Supermarket Sweep in the nineties? Did it have like TVs and shit in the aisles, or was it still just you know uh, bags of chips and stuff? No, it was pretty much. It looked just like the supermarket from that Married with Children episode. Oh, okay. You know, it's just yeah. It wasn't like a newfangled, bigger supermarket with like stuff you might actually want in it. Then no, it was just basically like a small supermarket, and it was just like. I thought it was just one big commercial for products because, like, the way they would pick people out of the audience was like, who's got the can of Folgers? Come on down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> who's got the bag of wrap snacks? <laughs> who's got the Vagisil? <laughs> Everybody just cowers away from the camera. All right. What's the ruling? What's the ruling? So I wanted to ask, is this the first time, um, certainly has been, in, I think, in my tenure as judge, but is this the first time we've had years so close together? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's why it's, we did it's, it. it's interesting and it's exciting and it's different. I also wanted to clarify something as well. Mark, your uh, episode of Cheers, while you did go into the plot, was there anything particularly special about it? Was it a yeah. first episode, a last episode, or whatever? I didn't. It was the first episode that had Kelly Gaines on it. Okay. The first time she was introduced. And right. of course, she goes on to being a major character on the show. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, so it was the first introduction of Kelly Gaines. First Kelly. First Kelly. Not Chris Gaines. Not not Chris Gaines. <laughs> no. um, and it was the uh, the the introduction of Coach Craig T. Nelson's classic nine season sitcom. Uh, it's such a shame because I feel that the after school specials really did such a great job, especially with uh, Bo and the Bradys. Uh, explaining all the uh, intricate plot details. You you almost won the day for your description alone. Uh, uh, sadly, uh, with Mark's clarification that the Cheers episode was uh, indeed a seminal one, I do have to go with 1989. But Bo, I want to give you big thumbs up, man, for your description of the Bradys. <laughs> it sounded horrifying. Well, I tell you what, I'd like to give you two thumbs up, and I can, but uh, Bobby Brady can't. No. <laughs> and if he tries, he'll fall out of his chair. Triple <laughs> 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 fall down is funny. Next. <laughs> so sorry, guys, but the uh, the introduction of Coach, who can deny that? Like you say, one of the uh, top five 90s sitcoms. For sure. I think a lot of people look at it at like an 80s show, but it really... And that's what kind of sucks because it, you know, it does bleed over, but it started well, in 89. We've, so as we've said before, yeah. like that kind of 87 to 94 kind of right. uh, uh, period yeah. really kind of, it's a, it's a, it's blend. a difficult, yeah. uh, difficult to really pinpoint the decades. I think you need to give a decade a good five years to kind of get going before you, you see all the quintessential stuff. I mean, the 90s has some of that grunge stuff early on, which kind of defines the flannels and the baggy jeans and shit that right off the... But but really, it's not till like 95, 96 that you can really define the 90s for the terrible, terrible decade that it was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no bias at all. All right, Mark, do you want to go... Uh, you want to go with news here? Do you yeah, want to go with something else? Or do you want to go with that? No, we'll go news. All right. Do you want me to start this? Sure, go right ahead. This one might be up Bo's alley, and it might be a little bit of a spoiler to Bo as well and every other fan of this out there. So I'm just warning everybody right now, if you don't want to know what happened on February 10th, 1989, you should just skip forward a couple minutes. But but two thumbs up, Bo's alley. Next. <laughs> Except for Bobby. In an attempt 
to free their exhibitions from regulations that apply to boxing and other sports that can cause serious injury. Linda McMahon of the then WWF, now the WWE, participated in February 1989 New Jersey legislative hearing in an attempt to deregulate professional wrestling in New Jersey. So basically they want it to be not looked at as a sport. That way their fighters wouldn't have to be, or their performers wouldn't have to be licensed or, you know, go to the doctor to be cleared and shit like that. So to push the deregulation, Linda had to commit the ultimate wrestling sin. And this was done for the first time and admit that professional wrestling was fake. It was a show and everything was predetermined. Mm. And mm. Uh, as a result of that, it actually did go on to pass that deregulation in New Jersey uh, by a vote of 37 to one. You know, once WWE stated that uh, they featured scripted sports entertainment with predetermined outcomes, it was ruled in New Jersey that they had no authority to regulate. Uh, I mean, it's interesting now because I never really knew this, but there still are states where it's regulated, like New York and stuff. They have to get they have to pass and shit like that. But there are times and that's why you'll see people not on one card, but they'll fight in another state while they're banged up. Like maybe on a you know a non televised show or whatever because it's in a deregulated state. Yeah, I mean the major part of the story here though is she let the cat out of the bag. Spoiler. Linda, Linda, Linda. Still real to me, damn it. So in New Jersey, <laughs> they could uh, they could wrestle each other with STDs. They didn't have to go to the doctor or get checked <laughs> or anything like Pretty that. Pretty much, they did. He's, not... like, He's coming at you with a herpes. He's got a herpes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have to get a license. Well, I mean, Gene, that sore certainly looks syphilitic to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no physical examinations before uh, an exhibition. So uh, they were in the clear in New Jersey. Just stick your diseased groin all over the other person's <laughs> face and he's out for the count. Sounds good to me. More deregulation in ridiculous sports, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Valentine's Day, 1989. We saw the first of 24 satellites that will make up the global positioning system put into orbit for the very first time. GPS revolutionized, revolutionized navigation, both sea and on land, providing positional reports with unprecedented pinpoint accuracy. Uh, the GPS satellite system is key to many technologies that we currently have today. Besides navigation, GPS has had many applications in map making, land surveying, and the accurate telling of time. Yeah, even though it was developed and maintained by the U.S. Department of Defense, it has been widely available since 1993 without charge to anyone anywhere around the Earth. So for the first time, Valentine's Day, 1989, the GPS system first launched into orbit. That's going to be hard to beat, motherfuckers. What role did Prime Star play in this? Look at that. And that's an example of big government working for us. You know what I mean? Everyone's yeah. like, we want small government. You're like, what? You're going to tear down the satellites now? Come on now. That's How are you going to get to Dunkin' Donuts in a city you're not familiar with? <laughs> Paper but maps. Government. Paper but maps. at the same time, we have got to blame the global positioning system uh, with the fact that my Uber driver still tries to pick me up three blocks over five <laughs> roads up. And I'm like, what are you what are you doing? The, the, put the little pin on the thing, but no, he still gets it wrong, asshole. That's a good one. That's a fucking really good one. I mean, that is, think that about impressive. that now. You can't even yeah. live without that because 
Most people can't even read a damn paper map if you tried. Who the hell's Rand McNally? (laughs) I mean, think of any new technology that's come out in the last 20 years that doesn't have GPS of some form built into it. I know. I mean, if you don't have GPS, how are you going to find John F. Kennedy Drive? That's right. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) (laughs) All right. What do you guys have? I'm going to get mine out of the way because it's terrible compared to what Mike's got. Uh, in February of 1990, no particular date, uh, but smoking, <laughs> smoking is banned on U.S. domestic flights of six hours or less in February of 1990. An initial ban was instated in April 1988 that prohibited smoking on flights of two hours or less. And by the year 2000, smoking was banned on all domestic and international flights. Uh, the verdict is still out on vape. Don't know if you can do that on a plane or not, but, uh. Haven't tried. Yeah, no, you can't. No. E-cigarettes are banned on flights. Mm. Well, that's def- that's devastating. Yeah. I don't know what difference it would make. Like I mentioned, they started out April 88, prohibited smoking on flights of two hours or less. What fucking difference does it make? You're still smoking in a plane no matter the, the duration of the if flight. If you're on a flight for six fucking hours and somebody lights up at six hours and one minute, how pissed off would you be? You'd be right. like, you fucking motherfucker. You went this whole time. <laughs> That's a massive step, though, because when you think about it, you tell a smoker, an avid smoker, all right, you're going to be locked in this metal tube with hundreds of other people. Oh, oh sorry. You can't smoke for six hours. Irritable yeah. as shit. That's a matter of national security at that point. Mark, at, at the six hour, I'm talking about it's not one person lighting up. It's every fucking person that smokes <laughs> on that plane. It's six. Oh, actually, six hours and one second. Yeah. Is pulling that fucking cigarette out. And by six. Oh, one, the entire like compartments you fill with smoke <laughs> the plane lands they open the door <laughs> on domestic flights six hours or less it, does that mean if the flight is six and a half hours you can smoke the whole flight or does that just oh. mean after six hours you can smoke because to me it's banned on u.s domestic flights six hours or less it means if your flight time is six hours or less you can't smoke on that plane at all but if right, your flight time right. is over six hours, if you're going from, I don't know, New York to Hawaii or something, then you should be able to smoke, right? It's just interesting right. that it would matter <laughs> That makes more way. sense. Yeah. That's how I thought it. Rather than, rather than the, the, the uh, <laughs> stewardess going around being like, uh, it's 601, light them if you got them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and what's you know, the like, big deal anyway? If everyone lights up, just somebody just crack a window. It's not the yeah, right. <laughs> fuck. An interesting point, though, on smoking on planes, not that I'm an advocate for it anymore as someone who's 11 years not been been a smoker, um, but uh, the air technically was cleaner on planes when uh, they were smoking on them because they had to um, refresh the air more frequently. Nowadays, because there isn't any toxins in the air, uh, except the person sitting next to you uh, (laughs) laughing loudly at Judge Judy or whatever the fuck they're watching. Um, Nowadays, they don't have to refresh the air so much. So there's actually more chance of contamination and illness on planes than there was when there was smoking. How many people do you think purposely found like multiple stop flights or connecting flights just so they could make sure that they could have a cigarette on the plane? Like St. Louis is two hours away from me. That would be like me flying to fucking New York just to make sure I could get a cigarette while I was in air. <laughs> right. Not a bad idea, really. Where does nice this flight connect? San Francisco? <laughs> Fine. Yeah, You're going to St. Louis. Why are you going to New York and then coming back? 
stopping for dinner, going to have a smoke. <laughs> I got a carton of GPCs and I got to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good one. What, Mike, what do you have? Oh, well, let me tell you. On, uh, on February 11th, 1990, after 27 years of incarceration, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. The, apart- the anti-apartheid activist later served as president of South Africa from 1994 to 99, becoming the country's first black head of state and regarded as an icon of democracy and social justice, and later winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Following his release from prison, reporters asked Mr. Mandela what he planned to do first. He simply said, I'd like to rent Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> I want to know, are they still too old for this shit? Because <laughs> uh, I am, he said. Wow, that's a big yeah. story, Mike. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. That's, that's when released, they asked him what he said. I'm going to go get laid! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they fuck you at the drive-thru. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we all know he went on to star in Shawshank Redemption, which is just a marvelous cinematic yeah, uh, achievement. He's great in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just really good, really good. In contradiction yeah. to popular belief, he did not die in prison, as most people still believe. <laughs> what was that movie that they said he was in or some shit? What's the Mandela effect? Lean on me? Because everyone oh, thinks he died thinks in prison. Thinks he died in prison. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> lean on me. He's like a lean on me. <laughs> he didn't die in prison. You see at the end, he gets out of prison and goes down to <laughs> Tehuantaneo or whatever that place is when Tom Robbins is polishing his boat or whatever. Right. <laughs> Even though this sounds like a difficult round for you to judge, it's probably a simple round for you to judge because I think Mark's and Mike's cancel each other out, in my opinion. Because they're both monumental. I don't know how you can put one over the other. Right. But are you the judge, though? That's what I want to know. Like, have, have I, I, I put myself in your shoes. Because if so, I'll go. I've got other stuff I could be doing. I could be whacking it to pictures of Olivia Newton-John. Or, uh, uh-huh. you know, th- there are things I could be doing. But I, if, if Now or <laughs> 1978? No, well, it doesn't matter when. I was going to put on that Christmas music video that her and John Travolta did when their face looks all melty, and then I was going to whack it to that. Like, I like <laughs> fake puppet people. Uh, it does a weird thing. To, and anyway, I don't know where I'm going that's, with that uh, riff. Um, so what you're saying is the Nelson Mandela and the global positioning system just cancel each other out. So therefore, I should judge it based on smoking being banned on U.S. domestic flights or Linda McMahon release, uh, um, um, revealing... That wrestling is fake. I should or judge Nelson it Mandela him. smoking his first cigarette on a flight <laughs> on after a being released from While prison. Linda McMahon fake wrestles uh, um, a GPS system in front of him. The plane gets uh, lost. That's, that's yeah. already a better storyline than what's on Raw. Yeah, right. <laughs> or on the Brady's, by the sound of it. Um, <laughs> that was the lost episode. Now, I didn't know about the Brady's show, and all of a sudden I have to see this. <sighs> it is really difficult. It is really, really difficult. This one, in a weird way, even even considering them, the two of them canceling it out. Uh, sure, to some people, wrestling being fake was a massive revelation in eighty nine. Because like now, no, I get it. I get it. I get yeah. it. But um, I was alive. Uh, <laughs> but uh, smoking banned on U.S. domestic flights, or smoking just the. The, the the slow gradual attack on smoking that starts in the the 90s and continues on uh up until present day that for others uh you know smoking was a way of life and uh 
to have that removed from uh, domestic flights, that probably caused some outcry. Um, well, if they could stop coughing long enough to to outcry. Um, <laughs> but I... Uh, Oh fuck it! I'm gonna have to go with 89 because the combination, the combination of the global positioning system and the revelation that wrestling is fake was probably a one-two punch. However, again, guys, 1990. This is gonna be such a touch t- tough game because 1990, really good showing, guys. Really good uh, attempt there. But uh, you know, if you st- if you stop someone on the street today and ask them if they have Google Maps or ask them who Nelson Mandela is. They're probably going to know what Google Maps is. Sadly, sadly. I mean, I you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Nelson Mandela, they're probably not going to know who that, that is. Now, is he the one that fought the good fight against the nurses? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with 19, uh, 1989 again, guys. Uh, I really don't want to, but I am. <laughs> I just have to. I feel so bad for the nineties each. each I, you time. know, I, I would have, have been totally like, fine with you going the other direction because. Yeah, but I mean, the the, the wrestling thing has has massive cultural significance going forward, uh, especially in this country. And um, the the GPS thing is just un, uh, It's unfathomable in in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen to not have that. And and the fact that it was given away to the world for free is one of those it's one of those things where i actually really love that about some of these achievements that are made through government agencies or you know american funding or whatever it is the fact that some of these things go on to uh, support and enhance the world i'm actually a fan of that some of the things we talk about on this show change the world completely yeah i mean like the yeah. brady's i mean yeah whoop. exactly like it's just it's just incredible. I everyone after listening to this episode will at least go YouTube the Brady's because they just want to believe everything Bo said, <laughs> or they don't believe and they want to check it's it's real. Because who can believe they wrote that show? <laughs> well, either way, there's going to be a rating spike and there's going to be a reboot here in the next year or yeah, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All Brady's, because of what you said. Four. They've all lost <laughs> limbs. One of them's a crack addict. One of them's revealed to be a racist midget. You know, it's just going to continue. It's going to be incredible. And introducing Bionic Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> He's RoboCop. <laughs> he went on to become Whiplash in Iron Man 2. He's, oh, that's, no. he's Robert Cop. <laughs> Robert Cop. Robbie, Robbie Wrist Cop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the score is 2-0. Uh, Mark, this one's tough for me because I kind of want to go with hot products here, but I think it's probably wise if we do music or movies here. Why don't we go with music? On February 6, 1989, we saw the legendary Bob Dylan release a collaborative album that fans have been waiting to hear for decades. Although it was just another live Bob Dylan album, his backing band this time consisted of Bob Weir, Brett Midland, Phil Lesh, Bill Kreutzmann, Mickey Hart, and Jerry Garcia, oh, better known as the Grateful Dead. Dylan and the Dead was recorded during the group's successful stadium tour, and the album consists of seven of the more popular songs from that tour, which featured songs written and sung by Dylan himself, as the Dead providing a backup band, creating a fuller sound, allowing more room and for ample experimentation on stage. The album reached number 37 on the Billboard charts, earning it gold certification. That was all started February 6, 1989, with the release of Dylan and the Dead.
All right. Big fans of it. I see everybody's really excited about that selection. <laughs> I'm ho- I'm holding in my excitement. Yeah, Mark mentioning the Grateful Dead. You know, it, it, it has to happen every episode. As soon as I saw it, I was like, Mark, here's yours. I didn't even ask him if he wanted it or not. <laughs> I was like, here, this is yours. Take it. Now he doesn't want to talk to us. We love you, Mark. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a great album. And it, people have, for years have been wanting to see Dylan and the Dead collaborate. The Dead had always been big fans of Dylan uh, going back to the 60s. Of course, they share the same musical spaces. And drugs. And the Dead always covered Dylan's songs. So it was just a natural pairing for them finally to get together. And when you look at at the context of the 80s, this was really at the end of Bob Dylan's popularity. His last few albums were not very popular. They didn't like his 80s sound. Now, The Grateful Dead had just come out with Touch of Grey and that album, and that was their first big hit in the 80s. So it was kind of, they were at opposite ends of their career at the time. So it was a really interesting collaboration. I don't know if it was perfectly executed, but uh, I'm glad it happened, and uh, it was a monumental album. I just remember being really disappointed to find out that this wasn't the soundtrack to some amazing zombie film where Dylan (laughs) went around the wastelands of America I'm going to hit you with my guitar, <laughs> you walking dead motherfucker. Something's in the water. <laughs> They've all got a disease. <laughs> that, would, I, that would be amazing. That You're actually amazing. thinking of Dylan McDermott in the dead. That didn't come out for another <laughs> oh, yeah, couple no, of years. No, that, was, that was a bit longer, yeah. Or Dylan, Th- Dylan Thomas in the dead. It's just a really miserable drunk Welshman <laughs> who just constantly, constantly sits in the corner mumbling about blackness and the disparity of the universe. And uh, meanwhile, zombies eat his wife or something. Man, that sounds better Sold. than the album. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to follow suit, though. Uh, February 7th, 1989. I'm also going to go with a live album of sorts. The third studio album from Two Live Crew was released Mm. the album as nasty as they want to be would go on to be double platinum in the largest of two live crews career obviously and a small side note here it was also the first southern rap album to go platinum big ups to them for that but let's look at the track listing for this album real quick uh we had of course me so horny which is the uh the single everybody knew from that uh you had put her in the buck dick almighty Come on, babe. Dirty nursery rhymes. Break it on down. Two live blues. And this is where it starts to get good. I ain't bullshitting. Get loose now. The fuck shop. Personal favorite of mine. Yes. If you believe in having sex, my seven bizos, get the fuck out of my house. Reggae joint, fraternity record, badass bitch. Megamix 3 and Coolin. Uh, and I'll say, if you've never heard this album, uh, go to Spotify if it's even on there. It and is. You need to listen. Okay. You need to listen to this for a multitude of reasons. All right. All right. One being the lyrics. And you have to keep in mind, this is 1989, 30 years ago to this month. And it's still a pretty damn bad album in 2019 when you think of yeah. what's the content of this album. And keep in mind, this album went double platinum. Okay, so listen to this verse from The Fuck Shop. All right. Uh, if anybody wants a beatbox in the background, feel free. Uh, please come inside. Make yourself at home. I want to fuck because my dick's on bone. You little whore behind closed doors. 
you would drink my cum and nothing more. Now spread your wings and open for flight. Let me fill you up with something milky and white. Because I'm hoping to slay you, rough and painful. You innocent bitch, don't be shameful. Break out the ice cubes in the hot water. This is the second half, not the second quarter. I'll fuck you till you sleep. You'll sleep like a baby. And in your dreams, you'll say I'm crazy. In the fuck shot. So weird. My uncle wrote almost something very similar in my birthday card this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's his wedding vows. Yeah, I think most of that, though, is taken out of context. <laughs> if you haven't heard the Cat Stevens cover. Right. All right. I'm not I'm not finished. Let me get, let me get through. So the, the second one, obviously, if you never heard Be So Horny, go listen to it for that. Uh, the third reason is that this is the first album in history to be deemed legally obscene. Uh, the then Florida governor, Bob Martinez, and the late Broward County Sheriff Nick Navarro, and even Vice President Dan Quayle at the time, they spearheaded a campaign to have as nasty as they want to be outlawed. And in 1990, a year after the album dropped and generated a storm of controversy, the Broward County judge deemed the record obscene. And that gave Navarro license to arrest the local record store owners and employees if they sold the album. Uh, they also arrested Luther Campbell from Two Live Crew after they p- performed some songs at a Hollywood nightclub. Uh, obviously, they were eventually acquitted of all charges. But, you know, this is most likely the reason today's musicians can make sexually explicit lyrics or just fucked up lyrics in general and without fear of being prosecuted. Even that goes for podcasts, too. Right. I mean, this is huge. I mean, also, there shouldn't be any censorship in the U.S. anyway. They never they never. Right. I mean, there has been, but there never there never was uh, traditionally or historically. It's normally censored by uh, money. So in other words, radios won't play your stuff or cinemas won't show your movie or whatever. It's normally deemed by capitalism rather than by an actual uh, censor group or whatever. Right. Right. And then back then, I'm sure you guys all remember if you bought a CD or a tape or something. And it had explicit lyrics. It had that sticker. Yep. Right yeah, on, I slapped only, on the I front. I only bought CDs with that on it. Just because <laughs> I... Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me that clean shit. Well, yeah. it, it got to a point where people were doing just enough to get the sticker label because albums were selling more with the sticker. Right. Just the tip. So they'd know? put in, you know, just... They, they'd say <laughs> shit once in a song just to get the sticker. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But that's mine. February 7th, 1989... The release of As Nasty As They Want To Be. Great album. Great album. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that under-deliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Only in Florida, though, right? Like in Florida where just insanity reigns, do they go, yeah, I know, but the lyrics to this song is just too much. <laughs> Maybe like, they thought just... it was going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can you can butt-ass naked wrestle an alligator while you're also shitting out a baby while, I don't know, in front of some bearded quadriplegics. But if you say come or fuck then you better watch out or whatever yeah totally weird i love this country (laughs) (laughs) at least they at least they won yeah no no no. well they would have to with freedom of speech you'd have to all right what do you guys have over to you mike 
On February 12, 1990, MC Hammer released the album Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. Featuring the hit single, You Can't Touch This, the album spent 21 weeks on the Billboard 200 and peaked at number one on the hip-hop and R&B charts. The album is widely thought to be uh, one of the most pivotal in bringing hip-hop to a wider audience and is the first hip-hop album to reach diamond status. When Hammer later declared bankruptcy, word spread that he would often be seen on the streets of Oakland singing Have You Seen Her, presumably referring to his former bank account, <laughs> while children repeatedly pegged him with fists full of popcorn chicken. <laughs> and that's it for news, Bo. Oh, that's music. Music news. That works. <laughs> that works the same. All right, gentlemen, let me let me paint a picture here for you. Let me set the scene. The date is February 22nd, 1990. Across the spanned wings of the most majestic bald eagle, flying out of the gates of hell, a supergroup, the likes of which have never been seen before, is assembling. That group? Damn Yankees. <laughs> Their self-titled debut album, Damn Yankees, released February 22nd, 1990, certified double platinum in the U.S., featuring such chart-topping hits as High Enough, Come Again, and Coming of Age. More coming than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> the band featured Tommy Shaw of Sticks, Ted Nugent, Jack Blades of Night Ranger, and Mark Marker Michael Michael Cardelloni, who spent time with Ted Nugent, John Fogarty, and later Leonard Skinnerd. Coming of Age hit number one on the U.S. mainstream rock tracks chart. Come Again peaked at number five, and High Enough would reach number two. Uh, the former also made a prominent wow. spot on the Monster Ballads commercial. I'm shocked that High Enough wasn't. A number one hit. Well, it made it high enough. <laughs> <laughs> that is my Co pick. The self-titled debut from Damn Yankees. Coming of Age was that popular. Yeah, I, I didn't I either. Remember I remember being a big song. Yeah. Number one. Wow. wow. Numero uno. She's coming of age. <laughs> I don't even know that song off that album. I only know Can You Take Me Higher. You know, from what? the Monster Ballads commercial. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, you know that song. If it was, you want me yeah, to sing if it? If you for heard you? it. Yeah, go ahead. Give, give me, give me, give me. Little Junior, here's the stage. No. No, it's not coming back <laughs> to me, man. Sorry. She can't help it. She's coming of age. No. I no, sound just no. like him. I don't yeah. know why. Uh, yeah. I think I think we should stop this right away. Uh, <laughs> It's it's disappointing this round because normally when I look at uh, music made in the month that we're talking about or the year that we're talking about, there's normally at least three or four albums where I'm just like, what the hell is that? And it's just some random thing. Um, there really isn't anything like that. I mean, 1990, February especially, solid month for uh, music of all different types. Some great albums came out. And uh, 1989, less albums uh, in that February of 1989, but still some classics. You've got Elvis Costello's Spike, uh, which was one of his big releases. You've got uh, Mystery Girl, which was released uh, by Roy Orbison uh, posthumously, but featured uh, um, all the crew from his Black and White Night, basically, along with Bono and the Edge writing one of his uh, uh, big hits. But he's working with Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and T-Bone Burnett and George Harrison and all sorts of people on that album. Uh, and that was huge. That 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 uh, did really well. There, there are no funny ones that I can really mention uh, from either months, which is very, very disappointing. So 
Uh, let's just move straight over to the judge's ruling then on this. Well, just because uh, I feel like every game uh, we should award them at least one round, we're going to go with the uh, after-school special and uh, February of 1990. Uh, sorry, Mark, to dash your Dylan and the Dead hopes, my friend. Um, and uh, as as nasty as they want to be, as pivotal as it was and as important as it was, um, and uh, as groundbreaking as it was for all the 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 um, legal things, I can't say that it's an album that that now in 2019, apart from us, uh, anyone's talking about. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I don't know. Whereas I feel like MC Hammer can't touch this is just forever. I think it's for it's forever a rock that America will wear around its neck, um, and uh, those big enormous trousers. Uh, not dude. willingly yeah no i know i didn't say willingly i'm just <laughs> saying in terms of pop culture relevance all right i think you may be the first person ever in history that i've heard refer to mc hammer's pants as trousers trousers <laughs> well that's the proper word for them parachute know? trousers <laughs> right parachute trousers <laughs> um yeah and and i think while i'm not a fan of his music his uh uh trousers should at least be celebrated on an international <laughs> scale um and then damn yankees was just a really uh, uh popular album as you said it was like uh platinum or something you said so um that was a big album as well uh but really mc hammer takes this um because i just feel like in terms of pop culture relevance um he, he is up there and I also feel like at least the the damn yankees uh, uh self-titled debut album at least was you know, uh, uh, a popular album, big album. It was their their debut album, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to justify myself to you guys. I'm the no, judge. I don't, I don't even think you need to, man. I think it's. Uh, I think that's that's a solid choice. Like if you look at the two of these yeah. together, it's a close month because it's basically the same thing. You had Mark's supergroup and you had Bo's supergroup. Which one was better? Obviously, you look at Damn Yankees. They did way better. Oh yeah. Uh, you know as far as financial financially and you know charts wise so unfortunately the answer wasn't hammer and damn yankees that would have been a hell of a super group that would have been amazing <laughs> the ham yankees you almost blew my mind oh. there i was oh like God. what although i'm surprised ted nugent hasn't reworked you can't touch this to be about his fucking guns <laughs> <laughs> it's coming now yeah i'm oh. sure it's coming of age. And I, I would only oh. allow that if Ted Nugent wore giant uh, uh, camouflage-colored <laughs> trousers and danced about the stage like a fucking idiot. Does every day. <laughs> well, good round, fellas. Two to yeah, one. Yeah, good round. Well done, the specials. All right, so that makes the score two to one and gives control back over to After School Special. Ooh, Mike, where do we go from here, my friend? I think uh, we got to go with Hot Product. Because it's our favorite round. Oh, sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah, you you go ahead and kick off this shit box of a category. All right, I'll do that. Hold on a <laughs> sec. On February 12th, 1990, North America saw the release of one of the greatest video games of all time with Super Mario Brothers 3. The game went on to be the third best-selling NES game, selling over 17 million copies and has been re-released several times across Nintendo's newer systems. The two-dimensional side-scrolling platformer improved and expanded on its original formula, introducing new power-ups and mechanics. 
The game had a short-lived TV series and was featured in the cult classic film starring the great Fred Savage, 1989's The Wizard. Despite popular belief, Mario never touched Peach's breast, but he did clean her pipes. (laughs) (laughs) That was released on my 10th birthday. How about that? Wow. Did he clean your pipes? Yeah. (laughs) The Mario Cleans My Pipes porn spinoff. That'd be weird because you were 10. (laughs) I meant like in your bathroom was. Yeah. <laughs> He's a plumber, bro. <laughs> that Listen, got I, weird. I watched porn early. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Mario came around and performed porn like near me while I was ten. I'm saying I watched it. It was the eighties, it was England, it was a different place, man. It was a different place, man. <laughs> I didn't know Mario had a bike shop too. Yeah, Italian, <laughs> it, yeah. Italian plumbers roamed wild just molesting who they wanted to. People weren't so uptight back then. Well, he just disguised himself as a priest and everyone turned a blind eye, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a good one. Uh Bo. I'm going with a uh I'm going with a technicality here. This is a bit of uh mix between news and hot product here. Perrier recalls 160 million bottles of sparkling water after traces of benzene, which is a carcinogen, are found in some of the That's a product. hot product. <laughs> That's right. The impurity was discovered in North Carolina by county officials who so prized the purity of Perrier that they used it as a standard in tests of other water supplies. So you're using sparkling water as the end-all be-all of purity. Uh, William Grigg, a spokesman for the Food and Drug Administration, said his agency's hazard evaluation board had collected samples of Perrier and found no immediate risk to the public from the benzene in the water. Uh, He was quoted as saying, At these levels, there's no immediate hazard. The hazard would be that over many years, if you consumed about 16 fluid ounces a day, which fucking nobody does, uh, your lifetime risk of cancer might increase by one in a million, which is just enough of a chance for me. Wow. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, I missed the point of hot products with that. No, it is a hot (laughs) price. It's a technicality. It's a product. It's in the news. It counts. I'm counting it because... (laughs) <laughs> see oh god and cancer is very hot right now i mean it is the it's it is super the designer in. killer disease right now <laughs> shit I'm, I'm like so over it already though i'm yeah, ready know, to move right? on cancer to the was so thing. last year it's like, played uh, out it's yeah all right it's whack it's like aids nobody gets that anymore right no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so like 19 and magic johnson got yeah. rid of it right oh is that like the magic eraser is that what that does he's got a magic johnson if he has a if he has a magic johnson then it must have got rid of aids that's what happened mark you want me to begin this one uh you wrap it sounds good go right ahead so stand by for something probably more exciting than bo's hot product maybe i don't know but but bear with me i'm gonna i'll make you understand it and i'll keep it quick and short because i know that's what john wants here I was going to say, is it anything to do with the invention of remote controls? Or Just something? follow me here. I'm going to make this short and sweet <laughs> okay, for you. We used to have wires. And fucking, All right. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> this is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1989. The most popular file compression of all time was released to the public domain. I'm sure we all know what a zip file is, right? Uh, the late Phil the Katz coded this gem piece software. Before zip came around, people would use the ARC file compression uh, back in the BBS days, when Zip rolled around, it was the most popular compression out there. People were sharing public domain, their pirated software, all by Zip, which was file compression. 
Uh, and I would bet even today, I'm sure you use zip at work uh, to compress files to send to somebody. It's built into OS X and Windows these days, so it's virtually everywhere. And that's it. Zip. I use zip to keep my dick in my pants. I yeah. don't know about you guys. <laughs> we actually don't use zip because it's one of the most common uses, or common uh, transportation methods of viruses, oh. especially for See? offices. So our, our uh, email server actually bans um, wow. zips because they can be encoded with viruses really easily. And even if the content looks legit, there can be a virus in there. Apparently, according to according to my security officer, I, I think they made that shit up. Oh. <laughs> It just proves its relevancy. After all these years, they're still concerned about it. So yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make the joke, and who cared? Zip, but that probably. I'll tell you really, really quick. Uh, zip usually isn't banned because most anti uh, antivirus programs, especially on email servers, can open the zip and scan the zip file if it's not password protected, right? And then let it no, go. No, I know it. he's probably. No, he's lying. Li- yeah, he's I'm lying. just saying he does. He, That's he what we do. Him. That's what IT guys do. We lie to everybody. We call everything a virus. And, uh, you know, yeah. we make shit, well, you know, it takes us two seconds to fix it. And then we give you this huge yeah. elaborate he, story on what we really didn't do. But, uh, yeah, he's also the guy who's like, now don't forget, don't use the same password for everything. Diversify your passwords, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then every time I need a password for something that he manages, it's the same password. <laughs> so yeah, he's totally full of shit. And that password is the Brady's underscore cripple question mark. I hope there's a capital in there somewhere. There is. The capital's on Brady's. Excellent. The clues in the password, dude. Come on. All right. So I got zip for mine, but I want to, what do you got, Mark? All right. I got something that probably was zipped, maybe. On March 12th, 2007. This game made the list of the 10 most important video games of all time. And it was this very list that was used when the Library of Congress took up video game preservation. And this was one of the games they used called SimCity, which was developed by designer Will Wright and published by Maxis. It was released on February 2nd, 1989, and quickly became a huge financial success, selling 1 million copies by late 1992 in the U.S. alone. It was the ninth best-selling computer game from 1993 to 1999. SimCity was critically acclaimed and received a significant amount of recognition. As of December 1990, the game was reported to have won over 23 awards. For the next two decades, it would go on to continue to be recognized as one of the top games and game franchises. And 20 years later, in 2009, IGN named it one of the top 25 PC games of all time. That all started February 2nd, 1989, with the release of SimCity. The real appeal of the game being that people just wanted to try and make the little Sim people fuck. And that's really until they (laughs) added that, like fuck plug-in that came i think in 94 i forget exactly when the fuck plug-in happened but like once that happened and the little sim characters could just get at it that's when people are like this is the greatest computer game ever <laughs> let's get that doggy style add-on while we're at it what? wasn't it always under the blankets yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was always, always. Under the blankets. yeah and i think the funny thing about this i think everyone had this game like i think probably pcs at a certain point came with this game on it like it was one of those it was one of those things it was uh everywhere at a certain point and now it's all like now you can get like sim apps and sim 
games on your phone and like there's still a sim there's like an updated sim city kind of game right now there's isn't there for like xbox oh, yeah. one or whatever yeah they're still coming out with new new games every couple of Lots years of is there one so. where you can make the boobies jiggle that's really all i care I'm about sure <laughs> i'm sure there is now the sims is still wildly popular i was surprised yeah a lot of people wasn't there a cartoon that. as well wasn't there like a cartoon the sims like wasn't that a tv show i have no idea uh, good no. idea now right. that somebody heard that they're next season next fall lineup no copyright john cross <laughs> right now fuck you <laughs> i will send you a cease and desist letter and then i will write on your review portion of a podcast dissemination app i will write i will piss on it <laughs> So if someone releases the Sims cartoon on YouTube, I'll just write in the comments, I will piss on this. <laughs> I would piss on this. Next. R. Kelly. <laughs> All right. So judges ruling. Well, ah, I, it's 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 annoying, right? Because the, the, the zip file, I could have got away with being like, whatever, zip files, and, and, and given it to the 90s because Super Mario Brothers 3 was released on my birthday. Also... On Dueling Decades, you get a special point if you mention Super Mario Brothers because it's like every other show. It really is. A Super Mario Brothers event <laughs> like uh, thing yeah. came out. Um, and I, so I really wanted to do the 90s, guys. I really, really did. Uh, you know, in Cancer, that's evergreen. That, that, that just goes on and on. That's culturally <laughs> relevant no matter what decade we're in. But uh, once you mentioned SimCity, dude, that was it. Uh, the, the round was won by 89. You can't really beat the cultural impact of uh, uh, Pixar. Uh, it, it's really the start of human beings kind of going, um, I'm bored with living in reality. Let's do equally boring shit in, in like virtual reality or in pixelated <laughs> virtual reality. So, you know, let's go buy groceries or let's go mow a lawn or let's go build a house or whatever. I mean, really tedious It's really shit, more boring let's do it on shit a than regular life. Yeah, it's even more <laughs> boring, right? Exactly, because you can't get a hand job from a nun. <laughs> yeah, but I don't really have to think about it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you can't you can't go down to a, a, a parking lot behind a, a, a strip bar and get some disease off a, a you know off a was it dwarf. sim city the one um, where you can like make them mad by like if you keep making them take showers or some shit <laughs> like keep making them go to the, the bathroom sims. they get like pissed yeah. off yeah no, you could you, in the sims you could like pause yeah. the game and remove all the doors and windows and put a plant in front of a fireplace and burn them alive that's what's wrong with this generation. That's yeah. why we have so many problems is because The Sims was released in like the early 2000s and now we're paying we're paying the price for all those, you know, arsonist yeah. children. But no, so I mean, uh yeah, you can't really beat it sadly, uh even though it even though like looking back at it, it was like a very tedious game. We were all very excited by it. So, um yeah, guys, you win. Mama Luke's son of a bitch. We got to wrap it up with the movies round all right let's move on to the movies round who, who should start this round i start all right all right february 17th 1989 we had this epic comedy that was released it brought in around 40 million dollars worldwide in the box office roughly about 83 million dollars in 2019 which is pretty good for a comedy uh the movie i speak of basically launched the career of keanu reeves uh, probably his biggest role to date at that time. He did have the night before, but I wouldn't say that, that like this is much bigger. Uh, also, launch career Alex Winter, 
Uh, also starred The Funniest Man Ever to Live, George Carlin. And, of course, I'm talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, does anything mm. else really need to be said about this movie? Uh, I'd say no, because it's fucking awesome and everybody knows it. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Excellent. Party time. <laughs> what is Mark? <laughs> All right. So we'll head over to my movies. February 17th, 1989 was the release of one of my all-time favorite comedies. It is the Tom Hanks masterpiece, The Burbs, with an mm. all-star supporting yes! cast, including Bruce Dern, <laughs> Carrie Fisher, and Corey Feldman. The film was shot completely in sequence and was filmed during the writer's strike of 1988. And for this reason alone, Joe Dante encouraged his actors to improvise many of the film's iconic sequences. And a little tidbit about that, the house next door to him, uh, Corey Feldman's house that he's painting through half the movie, that's actually the house that was the Munsters' house. It was filmed on the same lot. That's why you never see most of the house. Hey, no tan lines today. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Ricky, get this lame out of your yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you Fucking haven't seen The Burbs, uh, you, you got to check out The Burbs. It's just an absolute Ugh. classic. It was the final movie of uh, Brother Theodore. Plays such a great character in that movie. So check out The Burbs, February 17th, 1989. Yeah, both these are on Prime right now for free, so check them out. Yeah, if you haven't seen them, either one of these, it's a crime. <laughs> It came with the frame. It came with the frame. <laughs> it's about a nine on the tension That's scale there, Rube. I love that. Oh, my God. It's such a fucking great movie. It's, dead. Oh, it's just one of the greatest movies ever made. Top five, hands down, of my favorite movies of all time. Totally agree. Well, wait until you hear February 1990. <laughs> Mike Ranger, take it away. All right. Well, uh. On February 23rd, 1990, saw the release of Rockula, the story of a vampire who hasn't scored in 400 years and tonight's the night. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Yeah, that's not uh, my real thing. I was like, fuck. Damn. Damn, it's going to be something good now. Could not mention it. That was uh, on February 9th, 1990, everyone's favorite ponytail and Hollywood's manliest runner, of course. Steven Seagal, gave us hard yeah. to kill. Yes. Seagal plays yes. Detective Mason Storm, who is left in a coma after an assassination attempt kills his wife. He wakes up seven years later with one thing on his mind, revenge. The film went on to gross $47 million at the U.S. box office. That's right, boys and girls. The star of Above the Law is back. Now Steven Seagal is hard to kill. And you could take that to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that movie as well. I mean, not as much as I love the Burbs, but that movie when he's being wheeled around the hospital <laughs> in a semi-comatose state, looking like Seagal Jesus, I just, I just never stop smiling. It's, yeah. it's my favorite. He, thing. he looks like Bobby Brady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where the inspiration came from. They should speed that section up and put yakety sacks over it. So it'd be amazing. Just him bumping into shit with his little Jesus beard and his. Oh, she she brings a little kitten to his bedside to try and get him out of the coma. Kelly LeBrock and can we talk about her staring at his cock and. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, I was hoping we were going to mention just that. Frankly, uh, looks at his Johnson right while he's in a coma. Which, yeah. let's be fair, if my nurse is Kelly LeBrock at yeah. that time in 1990, yeah, have a have a peek, Kelly. Even Go now, on, have a look. T touch it if you like. Just nudge it, nudge it slightly. I don't mind. I think she probably did. 
Yeah, she probably did. And what about the bit yeah. later when he does acupuncture with joysticks? <laughs> when he's got like the acupuncture things in, but they're also like smoking with herbs in them and stuff. I mean, the whole movie is utterly bonkers. He has basically, like, if you look at it this way, when he dies or goes into the coma, the last thing he knows is that he fucks his wife and then they blow her away. Then he goes into a coma, right? He wakes up from a coma. God, if I Within had a 12 hours, he's banging Kelly LeBrock. <laughs> that's how Seagal does it Seagal is never one sandwich away from a, a, a good fuck well well, to be to be fair in uh, Demolition Man John Spartan kind of does the same thing with Lenina Hustley ah, he, yeah but it wasn't real sex it was yeah. simulated yeah true yeah. but he thought you know except Seagal would have known what to have done with the three shells true yeah he would have been like, I know all about the shells because they're an ancient Asian thing that I learned about when I was in the CIA. <laughs> Somebody walks in, he's got one over his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing with the shells? Just huff, huffing lumps of shit through the shell. And, oh, rubbing two of them on his nipples. It's a recovery technique. It's Asian. It is. All right. That's not what you're <laughs> supposed to do with the shells? Shit. Damn it. All right. Uh, Bo, what do you got? Oh, Steven Seagal. Uh, also February 9th, 1990, the release of the story of a hard-nosed cop who has teamed up with a detective with multiple personality disorder to uncover a long-lost Nazi sex tape yes, featuring Adolf Hitler, which would jeopardize the political future of the German chancellor-elect. It is Loose Cannons starring Dan Aykroyd, Gene Hackman, and Dom DeLuise, and back when they actually had theme songs for movies, yeah. the theme song for this one featured vocals by Katie Seagal and Dan Aykroyd. Loose Cannons, another one of my, like, I know it's a bad film, I get it, but I, I genuinely do like it, and it's one of, like, the forgotten buddy cop films. It's where It's where they kind of went, what buddy cop pairing haven't we done? And they went, well... Someone who's massively mentally unstable, but his mental instability <laughs> comes through in him doing pop culture voices. Uh, and how about we we cast an overweight, uh, past his prime Dan Aykroyd, up against Gene Hackman, who'd rather be anywhere else. Like when you watch the movie, <laughs> Gene Hackman just wants to be as far away from the film as possible. Co-starring Dom DeLuise, though, in, in a rare non-Burt Reynolds supporting role. This was actually uh, critically panned pretty yes. much unanimously, uh, <laughs> a massive financial and box office flop. But here's something interesting I found about this movie. In May 2013, Calgary police investigated after footage from the film was found in a landfill by a worker who mistook it for actual evidence of an actual murder. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That is it true. was later yeah. noticed that Aykroyd was in the frame and the police contacted his agent, who, after some searching, stated that it was a section from this movie. And TMZ reported that after the incident, Aykroyd was quoted as saying, the movie should have been left in the landfill where it belongs. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he says that with hindsight. At the time, he was like, I get to do the soundtrack? Great. Let's do it. let's do it in another style that was made hugely popular by African Americans that I'm just gonna trample all over and do it my own way. Just like I did with the Blues Brothers and the Dragnet rap. I mean, come on now. <laughs> that is true. Um oh, and oh oh Bob Clark directed it, who of course famously directed which movie that everyone watches uh, every December twenty fifth in this country? 
Puppet Master. <laughs> Black Christmas. No, he did that, but he also did a Christmas story. Uh, Bob Clark's uh, um, trajectory as a director is completely insane. But apparently by 1990, he needed a new pool, so he directed Loose Cannons. <laughs> wow. I mean, you guys really sold that one. It is a fascinating movie that, that I talked so much about at a recent movie trivia night that a friend of mine brought me the VHS of it. Because he's like, I can't believe you don't. I used to own it in the UK, but he's like, I can't believe you don't have it in the US. Here, here is a copy of the VHS of Loose Cannons, and uh, we've been best friends ever since. <laughs> nice. Because uh, it's it's just one of those films. It was one of those rentals. Like, there's a lot of people are like VHS rentals. The Burbs was the same. The Burbs and and Loose Cannons and uh, um, to some extent Hard to Kill, but definitely Loose Cannons and The Burbs were two that when I was. Anywhere between like 12 to 15, I'd rent them all the time and watch them just all the time. They were, I mean, Bill and Ted's, uh, uh, the, the, the two Bill and Ted films were obviously massive. Like they were cultural touchstones, but the Burbs and, and, uh, uh, Loose Cannons for me were, they were little discoveries I made. It was long before like the cult of the Burbs kind of became a thing. Right. It was number one in, in the box office for the month of uh, February of 89. So it did pretty well. It do, yeah, when it came out, but it, I, everyone, if by the time people knew who Tom Hanks was, people were talking about Big and Splash way more than they were talking oh, about that. the verbs, way more than they were even talking about like Money Pit and stuff. Um, but like Big and Splash became his two films. It was really, unless you grew up with the verbs or unless you kind of rented it from a, a, a rental store, um, not knowing like everyone who was in it or Joe Dante or any of the thing, if you just rented it being like, Oh, okay. The burbs. Um, and then discovered it. That's that they're the people who I think really hold it, hold it there. And yeah, that's how I discovered it. Don't you hate, you hate Tom Cruise, right? Do I hate Tom Cruise? I like action. Tom Cruise. When Tom Cruise is earnest and serious. I Oh, perfect. Then you'll love this. The burbs knocked rain man out of the top spot that it sat there for 10 weeks. And the Burbs good. knocked it, it out one week. It deserves it, because Rain, Rain Man, not as good a movie as everyone remembers. Rain Man was one of those movies, got a huge critical acclaim. Everyone talked about it, blah, 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 blah. When you watch it now, piece of <laughs> shit. When you watch the Burbs now, it just keeps on giving. Every watch yeah. is a beautiful reawakening of just what a... It, it's it's an utterly, utterly, utterly perfect film from start to finish. The soundtrack is great. The acting And it's is oddly rated PG, right? Is, yeah, it is. It's yeah. rated PG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing really in it. I mean, yeah, there's the skulls at the end, but there's no like, you know. I don't it, yeah, know. it's all I guess assumed it's like dog and... There's no real. Violence. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, a assumed stuff. There, there's some nice shots of Mrs. Rumsfeld, but yeah, in yeah shorts. Right, exactly. But nothing. Yeah. All right, what do you got? Don't start on me, Carol. <laughs> tell, tell us the movies that we missed. Uh, the movies that you missed. There weren't many, but in 1989. Uh, where there's certainly more than there were in 1990. You missed Major League, of course. That would be uh, another one of the big ones that came out, but I'm so glad you went with the Burbs. I thought you were going to go Major League on me and going with the Burbs. Just phenomenal choice, guys. Well done. Uh, Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. Uh, probably the least uh, great of all the Sleepaway Camp official original sequels, uh, but still a pretty good time if you like watching Bruce Springsteen's uh, a sister just kill people indiscriminately. Uh, you have Weekend at Bernie's, 
Um, you have the, some people say, underrated sequel to Cronenberg's Fly, uh, starring uh, everyone's uh, favorite least humorous person on the planet, Eric Stoltz, um, which uh, I wouldn't suggest rewatching. You have American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt. Uh, this time, Steve James is back, but not um, our favorite American ninja, um, Dudikoff. He does not come back for this particular sequel. That's about it, I think. Yeah, that's about it. You've got Future Force with David Carradine. Um, you've got Get Smart Again, the Get Smart original series uh, sequel movie. Uh, Tom Selleck and Her Alibi. Um, but uh, they're really the key key movies from that uh, uh, month. And then from 1990, February, um, probably the, the, the biggest two that you guys didn't mention, probably Nightbreed and Revenge, uh, the Kevin Costner movie. Um, but you've got Nightbreed, La Femme Nikita. Um, apart from that, there's the wonderful hair metal uh, action movie Alienator <laughs> um, about evil guy Cole, uh, who's about to be ex- executed on a distant spaceship but he manages to escape on a shuttle and make his way to some woods in America. <laughs> Just some random woods uh, where the alienator goes on to kill everybody. Um, there's not much else. Flashback with uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Dennis Hopper. Uh, the well-known racist buddy cop ghost film, Heart Condition. Oh, yeah. In which yeah. Bob Hoskins plays a massive racist. Well, not a massive racist. He's only about five foot four, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> He plays a racist who teams up with everyone's favorite uh, uh, African-American actor, Denzel Washington, uh, who is a ghost. And together they have to, I don't know, solve crimes or something. Um, That's about it. Um, Yeah, that's about it. There's not many other movies uh, from those two months. But still, I have to say for February, which is normally a quiet month because everyone is like, you know, November, December, January, you've normally got your Oscar contenders february is normally a quiet month because the oscars are happening at that point it's uh, normally a lot of rerun films come out in cinemas a lot of oscar hopefuls go back into cinemas to kind of get uh, uh more recognition again uh so considering that is the case in february most years pretty strong showing on both uh, 89 and 90 89 obviously has to take it um because of the cultural impact of bill and ted and also the burbs is huge but guys 90s Hard to kill. What a classic. Can't get can't get any better than Seagal in Hard to Kill. It's just tremendous. Um and Loose Cannon's a personal favorite. Uh if you haven't seen it, track it down somewhere because it is worth one watch just to uh get halfway through the film and be like, what were they thinking? <laughs> Damn, so that was a really close even though the score ended up being six to one, I don't feel like this was a six to one matchup. No, not at all. All the rounds were close. If I had to score it, if I could give like points rather than uh, 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 who won and who lost, um, then it would be it would really be kind of like a I would say four point five to six. So eighty and eighty nine still would have taken it, but ninety would have got like four point five points, and uh, um, ninety would have got six points. Maybe that's something to think about. Anyhow, <laughs> all right. So the Mama Lukes pull out yet another victory, but stay tuned. Maybe the after-school special with their new name will come back next time and win another one. If you missed a past episode, check out DuelingDecades.com and also go over on Facebook where you can join our Facebook group and peek behind the beaded curtain as you join our private group as well. So until next time, fellow poopers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. 
Have a grateful week, everybody. And that's the only time you'll hear about the Mamelukes pulling out. <laughs> Infirmary Media. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.